So last week, we had a regular show. Don was here. I was here. We did three things. One last thing. Felt like a regular week. And here we are, back to just me in the room. My fault this week. I was the one who couldn't make it work out. Um, so this is what we're going to do for today. It's still a great show. Uh, they're better when Don is here, but we can work it out when he's not. And this is how we're going to work it out today. Uh, in a minute, we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back with Joe Piznanski. And we're going to talk about Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball season starting any day now. Joe Piznanski writes about Major League Baseball uh, for MajorLeagueBaseball.com and for NBC Sports and appears on uh, the Major League Baseball Network. So we're going to preview the season. We've kind of been doing this for a few weeks. Jeff Passan was on to talk baseball, and now Joe Piznanski will follow him. After that, we're going to introduce the first book club book of the month of the year, of this year, 2017. Uh, we'll do that after we talk to Joe Piznanski. Uh Then for some fun, uh, yesterday I sat down and kind of just bullshitted with the author of Difficult Men, uh, Brett Martin, who is the food correspondent for GQ. We talked about Sopranos and television and uh, things like that. So Brett will follow the book club announcement. And then I'll, sh- I'll close the show with one last thing on my own, uh, and it will be about WrestleMania three, which had its 30th anniversary yesterday. I should mention, since this is a short segment anyway, you can find this episode and last week's episode with Don and I on our SoundCloud page uh, at soundcloud.com slash sports-casters. You can also find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters, at Don Like Sports. I do believe there's going to be a Lonely End of the Ring podcast this week, and I think we have someone from the Ducks on uh, to take part in that. Uh, so I look for that at Lonely Rink Pod on Twitter or SoundCloud.com slash Lonely Rink Pod. So this is some, some things to uh, keep your eye out for. But with that said, uh, there's no re- reason to drone on. I don't like to do three things by myself. That's just too much droning. Too much of me, not enough of anyone else. Uh, so we'll just take a break. We'll skip three things today. And we'll come right back with Joe Piznanski. All right, our next guest is from Cleveland, Ohio, and is a graduate of UNC Charlotte. Uh, he writes for NBC Sports, MajorLeagueBaseball.com. He's making his fourth appearance on the podcast today. I think he might do an iPad review. Uh, a warm sportscaster's welcome to Joe Piznanski. How's it going, Joe? How are you? Good, how are I'm you? I'm doing great. Welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be back. It's almost baseball time. It is almost baseball time. That is uh, means it's the best time of the year. How did you enjoy the baseball classic? I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot. You know, I mean, you never you never know how that's going to play out. I mean, it's uh, it's obviously not on the top of uh, of a lot of you know, American uh, you know base 
obviously it's so early in the baseball season you're worried about injuries and you're worried nobody's really going to be in shape to play and uh, I thought it was great. I thought we, you know, were a lot of terrific, terrific games. I thought uh, that team from Puerto Rico was incredible to watch throughout. And uh, yeah, I, I actually thought it was the best one as far as uh, capturing the imagination a little bit. And and I thought the, the quality of baseball. I mean, it was a shame that the uh, the gold medal game wasn't very good, but uh, but I thought the, up to that point there were there were a lot of good games. Yeah, and you know, I I was going to say that to you. You know, it seems like. We've done this a few times now, but never before did I remember there being such passion, not just not just with the U.S. team having some success this time. They haven't always had the best success in this tournament, but it just felt like from top to bottom it got started with the with the Jewish uh, the Jerusalem team and, and got some buzz right away, and then it just felt like whether you were watching Dominican Republic versus Puerto Rico or United States versus someone or even the Netherlands play, it just felt like there was so much more kind of passion. And you heard things like, like I think it was Mike Trout who said, you know, I want to play in that next time. Like there's just like, felt like there was a greater buzz and uh, intensity this time. Do you have any idea why? You know, it's interesting. I, I mean, obviously I, I think it just, you, there were just a lot of good games this time around and, and you're right. There were some good stories. It was, I thought it was really interesting the way that the, uh, the brackets were set up, you know, so, so you had the, the really, really kind of brutal bracket with the Dominican Republic and Venezuela and the United States and Puerto Rico and, uh, you know, all of that. And, and I mean, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't get too many teams through. And then you had this other bracket with, with Japan, obviously being very, very good, but you had the Netherlands there, you had Israel, you had Italy and, and it felt like there was a real opportunity for teams to sort of get their, you know, get their legs under them, and and uh, and so I think that definitely made the early part of the tournament pretty exciting. I think people did get caught up with the Israeli story, and then uh, and then I thought it was you know that then it was just a matter of just being really really good games. I definitely felt like the Dominican Republic team was fantastic and loaded, and and uh, and obviously their their game against the U.S. was a classic, and then Puerto Rico and. Javi Baez being so much fun throughout the tournament. It was. I really think that the play was was a little bit better than than it had been in the past. Not to say that it had been you know lackluster in the past, but I just thought there were a lot of cool games and good games in the U.S. and the U.S. going pretty far in it, obviously, and then winning it uh, certainly helped a lot. We have a final four, and whenever there's a final four, the, for whatever reason, the first thing I think of is opening day of baseball season. So those two things just go hand in hand with me. The final four, opening day. Uh, so whenever when uh, North Carolina made that shot yesterday, believe it or not, the first thing I thought of was, oh, I wonder who's starting opening day for the Braves this year. Uh, we're close, is the point. And I wonder, yes, uh, someone who writes for MajorLeagueBaseball.com and someone who loves baseball as much as you do, when you get this close this year, what's – What's like at the top of your notebook? What are some things you're still interested in or, or most anxious to find out between now and then and the beginning of the season? Like what is interesting you the most right now? Well, I've got sort of my mind all over the place. I mean, you're, you're right. I sort of had the same feeling. Uh, you know, the Final Four is is obviously an iconic event in and of itself. But, yeah, to me, it's 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 not the end of basketball. It's the beginning of baseball. So, uh, you know, college basketball. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I'm obviously keeping my eyes on on the Cubs and, and Cleveland. I mean, those are those are the two teams that that played that great World Series last year, and they're both look to be at least as good, if not better, this year. And I think that's really interesting. And and uh, and, and I think where where all the stories begin. But you know, I'm I'm very very interested in quite a few players. I you know, I was I was just actually having conversation with the editors was where I wanted to start the year, where I wanted to sort of be early on. And, and, you know, I think it was, it was, you know, reflected in, in the stories that we were talking about. And, and one of those being you know, Bryce Harper. And, and obviously two years ago, Bryce Harper has one of the all time great seasons and, and one that, that seemed to stamp him as, as, you know, sort of the, the, you know, partner with with Mike Trout and on top of baseball and then he really struggled last year and in a lot of ways you know health-wise he seemed to struggle but but he just didn't look the same he's had a great spring so exciting and and interested to see where he's going to be very interested to see what's going on with Kansas City and this sort of seems like the end of of what has been a magical run and and will they have one more magical run in them this year or is that a team that's going to you know start selling pieces off that's interesting seattle is going for it they're interesting uh we were talking a little bit about arizona you know because uh obviously arizona went for it last year and it all fell apart now nobody's paying any attention to them and and that's a team that has some some very very good players on it so you know i my mind is all over the place that's this this time of year because there's it's it's pretty pretty infinite what what can happen and and where this thing can go and and uh and and that's uh, that's why opening day is so great because there's this infinite number of possibilities following up real quick on harper do you think the ship has sailed that he'll be a national long term or do you think that that possibility still exists well i i think the possibility exists certainly um Washington, you know, can figure out ways to 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 spend, you know, what is likely to be close to a half billion dollars if they want. Uh, I don't think they will. I, I think at the end of the day that that the Yankees have sort of been plotting this for a while. Right. Not necessarily Bryce Harper, but plotting getting out from under the, all their big contracts, and and then you know everybody knows sort of one of the all time great uh, free agent classes is is about to come out in in two years and. And uh, when that happens, Bryce Harper obviously leading the charge, but there's there are other really really good players that are going to be in that class, Manny Machado and others. And and uh, you know, I think he's going to explore it. I don't think he's going to sign early. I think he'll you know, especially if he has a great year, he's going to explore, see where he can go. And and you know, he has said in the past that the Yankees are are of interest to him. I, I think it would be of interest to baseball to have Bryce Harper in New York. So. Uh, I wouldn't say it's sailed, but I would say it's pretty unlikely that he'll stay in Washington. Do you put Manny Machado on the same level as Trout and Harper in your mind? He's pretty close, yeah. I mean, I I, I think Machado is, is, you know, I mean, I guess he's, I guess he's underrated, you know, in that people don't necessarily talk about him in that in that way. But you, you look at what he's done and 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 how great a player he is, uh, you know, both offensively, defensively. Power. He he does everything. I mean, he's he had a much better year than than Bryce Harper did last year. Uh, and probably when you look at their careers at this moment, I I would argue that that Machado's career is probably better than Bryce Harper's career right now. Now, 
how long that's going to go on. I think Harper has obviously dealt with a lot of things, including injuries and, and incredibly high expectations. But, yeah, Machado's he's fantastic. What a fantastic player. Let me throw one out at you. You know, I was really interested. Obviously, the end of the baseball season, such a bang. I mean, to have the two longest droughts, World Series droughts facing each other like that. And, I mean, kind of forget the Indians for a second. That Cubs thing was beyond baseball in a way. You know, it was more about 110 years of the third biggest city in the country. And uh, I am really curious in two things. One, to see how the general baseball public responds to the Cubs this year now that they're a champion, not a team chasing the championship. And I'm also interested in kind of where that leaves Cleveland as the new team that hasn't won a championship in the longest amount of time and all the young, exciting players and how close they came with basically two pitchers. And, man, I'll sign up to watch Lindor any day of the week. He's so exciting. But that's kind of on the top of my list. What do you think about those two things? Well, the Cubs thing is very interesting to me. Uh, you know, obviously they're not the they're not the little lovable you know loser Cubs anymore, and and that does change the entire dynamic. Uh, I did talk to Theo Epstein uh, a little bit about that, and he kind of laughed it off and basically said, you know, hey, winning makes everything better, which I think he's right on a on a larger scale. But yeah, I mean, there it's going to be it's different now, if certainly and. Not in a bad way, but they're no longer that team striving to to break the the longest uh, curse in sports or whatever you want to call it. And uh, it's different, but they're so young and exciting. I don't think people are going to view them any differently. I, you know, as far as as far as how much fun they are to watch and how exciting they are. Uh, the novelty of the Cubs thing is over, um, but. You know, they're still the Cubs, and they're still, you know, they're still the north side of Chicago and still Wrigley Field, and 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 so I, I don't think that's going to change that much. The Cleveland thing is, uh, you know, I mean, it's kind of interesting because, I mean, yes, on the one hand, they have the longest uh, the longest World Series uh, streak going, but, yeah, I've been to the World Series three times since, you know, 95, I guess, and, uh, you know, have been a a very, very good baseball team for a long time. So I don't know that people will view them quite the same way. I, I, to me, the Cubs thing, as much as them not winning the World Series, to me it's, it's the fact they hadn't been to the World Series since 46 or whatever, 45. And that to me was a big, that was the big thing. The big thing was that the Cubs couldn't even get there. I thought once they got there, yeah, sure, the big World Series curse was still uh, you know, there, but I didn't think I didn't think that would affect them that much. I thought it was about getting to the World Series. So while yes, the the Cubs are, I mean, the uh, Cleveland has the longest streak. I think you look at other teams um, like Milwaukee or or you know, look even the Dodgers. The Dodgers haven't been to the World Series in thirty years almost, and mm-hmm. uh, you know there are a lot of teams that have not been to the World Series in a very very long time, and and I think those are the teams that are going to be very interesting to watch over the next few years. Yeah, like that Kirk Gibson home run, that was literally the last time the Dodgers were in the World Series. And even though that right. sometimes can feel like yesterday, that was 1988. The Cubs kind of remind me in a silly way of like like when Randy uh, Macho Man Savage hit Ricky the Dragon Steamboat in the throat with the bell, and, and, and Savage was the champion at the time, and then Steamboat spent the next six months like 
they would show him on TV trying to talk like these silly vignettes, and and then he became the champion, and it was like okay, <laughs> it was it was an amazing moment. But then after that, they just kind of switched the belt off to the honky tonk man, and everyone forgot about uh, <laughs> about about uh, Ricky Steamboat. But like you said, I I think that now I guess just the narrative maybe changes a little bit to what kind of a dynasty can we have here because they're just so young and so loaded and so talented. Yeah, and I think there's still. I mean, you know, the, not no, no offense to to Ricky Steamboat, but uh, <laughs> you know, I think I think Ric Flair kept finding ways to be interesting, no matter how many times he won the belt and lost the belt. Was a good guy, was a bad guy. I, I think the Cubs, because of Wrigley, because it's Chicago, because of their history, uh, because of their fan base, because of Bill Murray, because of the seventh inning stretch. I mean, you just go on and on. That's they're still going to be very, very prominent in people's minds. And, uh, you know, and, and one of the things that always surprised me is how much, through all of their losing and all of their lovable loser thing, how much Cardinals fans despise them. I mean, just despise the Cubs. And Brewers fans, the same thing. I mean, it's it's funny because from an outsider's view, you're like, who can hate the Cubs? They're, they never win. They're always, you know, it's always it's heartbreak. Um, but, you know, but but... There are a lot of people that really, really have strong feelings against the Cubs, and those feelings aren't going anywhere. So, you know, I, I think the Cubs are still going to be the story uh, of baseball this year. And and you're right. I mean, they're so young, and they've got so much talent, and, and it, you know, there's no reason to believe that they're going to be anything less than they were last year. Um, you know, some of those young hitters are probably going to get better. You know, they, they do have a little question when it comes to starting pitching um they're a little bit old uh you know and they also need guys like kyle hendricks to have, you know be as good as he was last year lester to be as good as he was last year arietta has been falling off a little bit so i mean it's it's not like they're without any questions at all but they're so talented i still think they're the big story in baseball you know a bunch of years ago i think it was maybe the rays i i wasn't thinking of them they made a run then it happened with the astros i hadn't even given them a thought they went in a division make make it to the playoffs maybe you could say the th- same thing about the royals right before they made their run is there a team or teams that are kind of on your mind this this spring as someone that nobody's really talking about that's been quietly kind of loading up the system and maybe can take a step and take a run this year well, I think I think we're about a year or two away from some of those. I I've been very very interested in what they've been doing in Milwaukee. Uh they've been, you know, they're trying to build sort of the way the Royals did. I mean, very very athletic and and they're interesting and have a lot of young talent. The Braves, everybody kind of knows that Atlanta is sort of building a uh, a pretty great system. They've they've sold out for that and and uh taken a lot of losses uh in order to build that. So they're interesting. I think this year Seattle really interests me, and that could that could be a bust too. But you know they won eighty seven games last year, were kind of in it throughout. Uh, even though Felix Fernandez kind of had an off year, and then they went in the off season and they 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 went for it. I mean they they brought in you know Segura and, and, and others, and uh, that is a team that really seems to be. Um, pushing to win right now and and i think they, they do see a window closing with with felix hernandez and robinson cano being of a certain age so they're interesting to me uh i know a lot of people love houston um i i think houston's got some issues i'm not saying they, they can't overcome them they're so talented offensively but 
that starting rotation to me is pretty shaky and scary. It could be really, really good, but it doesn't have to be at all. And Texas is, is good. That I think the West is there to be won if Seattle uh, has a good year. Um, and then Arizona just, I don't know, I, I just, Arizona went for it last year. It was such a, you know, it was such a, I don't. I didn't like a lot of their moves, but I, I, I like the fact that they kind of went for it and and they signed Granke and they made the big deal and and uh, and then you know before the season even started they 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 had injuries and and it all just kind of fell apart. But they got they got that team sort of back in place now, and uh, I'd be interested to see what happens there. So those are a couple of teams. I, I don't I don't really see. You could see the Cubs coming. You could see the the uh, Royals coming. Right. Um, I don't see anybody like that right now. That just seems like they're right on the brink. Philadelphia is trying, but I don't think they're they're you know ready yet. So I don't see any really young teams uh, coming up. But if there is one, the scariest part of all is it could be the Yankees. I mean that's that's mm-hmm. a team that's going to probably come pretty fast with all of the all of the talent they've traded for over the last couple of years. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about the Yankees because it's like two years ago. They made the playoffs, but they were not that very, not a very good team last year. They didn't make it, but I almost felt like they had a better season than they did the year before. And I almost kind of expect, you know, them to make a jump from where they were last year. And like you said, they're so loaded with young players, and they can always add people. They like have the uh, ultimate flexibility, um, maybe over every team, but maybe the Do- maybe the Dodgers are that way too. Uh, but they can always add someone if they felt like it was right, and uh, they they just kind of loom scary, I think, for a Yankee hater. Well, yeah, I, I think if you're a Yankee hater... And I'm not. Is, I'm not saying not that. Right. I am. Okay. I'm, I'm a Yankee hater. I, mean, right. I have been since, I'm indifferent. Since I was a kid. Yeah, that's, and, and that's fine. I, I I respect, I really, really respect what they've done. I, I think they've, you know, the, you look at them two, three years ago, and... Uh, you could, even though they were able to sort of squeeze out one more playoff appearance, uh, that team was a disaster. The, 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 the financials of that team was, was, you know, they, they sold out there. There's a team that sold out in 2009. They sold out to win the world series and then they paid for it for the next seven years and, and, uh, getting out from under a rock contract under, you know, they're still under Sabathia's contract, but, uh, to share his contract, all these other big, huge contracts they were under, uh, they really were kind of limited. Even the Yankees don't have an unlimited supply of money. So what they did to get all of these young players and, and some of them ready right now and some of them are going to be ready in the next couple of years, they're, they're in as good a shape as anybody. I, I don't think they're quite ready to do it this year. I Look, I think the Red Sox are flat loaded. I mean, just loaded. And that's that that offense could score a thousand runs this year, and so I don't think the Yankees are quite ready to compete on that level. Um, but they're they're scary, and you're right. If if they are in position, they they certainly have the ability more than the Dodgers. Even I think the Dodgers, uh, you know, again, and nobody has an unlimited supply of money. The Dodgers uh, payroll is enormous, and and I think they're going for it in a, in a very different way. And they're loaded too. By the way, that. Those two teams could easily be in the World Series. So I think the Dodgers and Red Sox are absolutely, uh, you know, maybe the two most talented teams uh, in baseball, including the Cubs and 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 uh, in Cleveland. I, I don't know if if that talent quite fits the way that it's fit in Chicago, but I mean, you talk about pure 
pure baseball talent, my gosh, both those teams are just loaded. Yeah, I mean, even for as outmatched as the Dodgers were last year against the Cubs, there were still nervous moments in that series where it's like, oh, man, if Kershaw didn't run out of gas in that last game and he pitched a gem and they won that, it would have really put the pressure on, you know? So, oh yeah, yeah. I, th- I think not scoring the run. Uh, I can't even remember who it was on the when they tried to score the run early in that game. That could have changed the whole dynamic of that series. And yeah, they were up in that series. Yeah. So uh, they're they're you know again position for position, player for player. Uh, it's hard to beat what the Dodgers and Red Sox have. I, I you know that's not how baseball works. Baseball is much more. Uh, you know, how pieces fit together than it is individual sort of fantasy baseball. Um, but, but yeah, pure, pure talent. I mean, you know, there's, there's not a weak spot in either lineup and, you know, the Dodgers have the best pitcher on earth. So, um, that's pretty, it's a pretty good way to go into, uh, into the season. All right, the sportscasters are finishing up here with Joe Poznanski, who you can find on Twitter. He's at Jay Poznanski there. Uh, JoePoznanski.com. Yes, JoePoznanski.com is his website, which is uh, great. There's a great blog there, information about the books he wrote, um, links to different columns, including his MajorLeagueBaseball.com stories. He just did a really, really cool one where he picked 25 players from 25 countries. You can only pick one from each country, and he didn't pick Babe Ruth uh, from uh, the United States. Who did he pick? You can find out at MajorLeagueBaseball.com. He's also got some different ranking columns and a really great piece uh, on a Texas Rangers reliever that is close to me uh, as a Crohn's disease, uh, someone who lives with it every day, and um, that's something that's become close to Joe and his family that I would love for you to check out on MajorLeagueBaseball.com, and you can link to it right from uh, JoePoznanski.com. Is there anything else, Mr. Poznanski, that you'd like to plug? Any books in the future? Well, I am writing a book about Harry Houdini uh, that uh, that I'm hoping to have. Well, I'm not hoping. I will have finished uh, uh, in August and should be out in early 2018, so I'm very excited about that. My mind is always at least a little bit uh, in the world of magic and escape and all of that, which is cool, which is cool. It's a very different kind of book for yeah. me. It's certainly something unlike anything I've done before. Um and a lot of fun, and, and it's been it's been really really fun. So, so yeah. So I'm always you know I'm, I'm thinking baseball. I'm thinking you know sports, and then every so often I'll just you know think about the Chinese water torture you know escape or something. So it's it's uh, it's cool to sort of get my mind off of things. Right, and that's why Joe Poznanski such a great spot. Joe dot com is such a great spot because you never know which one of those things might come up uh, in a thirty thousand word blog on any given day. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> you never that's, know. I, that's for sure. Right. iPad review any day now. Could be. Any day. Right. It could be happen any time now. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. All right, I want to thank... Joe Piznanski for being on the podcast today. Uh, Joe has been the author of two uh, book club books of the month. Uh, Don and I talked in depth about one of them last week. That's Paterno. And his other book uh, that he was book club, book club, book club, book of the month author of was a golf book. And I don't exactly remember the title of it, to be honest. 
but it was a green book, and uh, the color of it was green. That's what I remember, and it was about golf, and it was about a rivalry between Jack Nicholas and, I don't know, another golfer, and this is all great information. Uh, a new book club book, uh, since I can't remember, The Secret of Golf, that was the name of the book, Joe Nancy, The Secret of Golf, one of his two book club books of the month that and paternal story of paternal in last week's podcast anyway uh we've been going over stories of book clubs past as we waited for the first new book to arrive that interests us in 2017 and it has it was released on march 28th so just the other day and it's called the cubs way the zen of building the best team in baseball and breaking the curse by tom verducci I spoke with Mr. Verducci about the book and about it being a part of the book club. Heard back from him. Haven't heard back from the publisher yet. Uh, So if that doesn't change uh, between now and next week, uh, plugging the book might. But there's probably no reason to be worried. I'm sure the books are on the way. Uh, I will sort the interview out with Mr. Verducci towards the end of the month. And we'll be on our way. Um, Verducci, of course, not only a senior writer at SI, but he's also a Fox Sports analyst, and he had a lot of insight into how Theo Epstein and Joe Madden built uh, the Cubs team last year and broke the long drought. Uh, So that's the book. There's an excerpt, I believe, in Sports Illustrated this week. Uh, Being that it's released, I'm sure Verducci's going to be everywhere talking about it. And uh, in a few weeks, he'll be here. So, again, the book is called The Cubs Way, The Zen of Building the Best Team in Baseball and Breaking the Curse. It's available in hardcover on Amazon. It's uh, also eligible for Amazon Prime. It's also available on Kindle, iBooks, eBooks, anywhere you can find those. It's available there as well. So, that's the Book Club Book of the Month and where we go. Speaking of Book Club Book of the Month authors... Uh, we started the show with one in Joe Piznanski, and let's move on to another one. Uh, Brett Martin, he was the author of a really great book about the anti-hero on television called Difficult Men. Uh, and he's going to join us. I've been rewatching Sopranos and uh, emailed him to tell him about it. And we thought it'd be great to come on, revisit Sopranos a little bit, and really just shoot the shit. And that's what we do for about 40 minutes. So let's take a break, and we will come back with Brett Martin. And then after that, I will be back for one last thing. All right. The blue on the street loops incomplete under sky so smoke All right, our next guest was born in Brooklyn and lives in the hopefully not sinking New Orleans, Louisiana. He's a GQ correspondent. His work has appeared in the Best American Food Writing series. And he's the author of one of my favorite books, Difficult Men, which he came on to talk about way back in Season 3. He's making his third appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Brett Martin. What's going on, Brett? Hey, how you doing? Good, good how you back. doing, buddy? Yeah, it's good to have you back. What season is this? This is Season 7. Jesus, good. That's, uh, that's four, four, four seasons ago. All right. Yeah, so you've been I'm, I'm set. Three, five, and seven. 
Good. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's very symmetrical. Yes, yes. I appreciate that. And I asked you um, to come on to season six, and you very politely declined. <laughs> and you said you felt... I like, don't do even I do not do even even seasons. Yeah, that's, no. It's just not my thing. I, I only do odd. <laughs> Pardon me. And I was telling you on the on the email that I like when people decline, because we live in a culture where people either say yes or ignore you. So like, yeah, like since well, I, I try to I try to be polite. Yeah, no, people people just do not do that. I think we've probably got about six or seven no's since 2011, and I've probably sent out about you know three thousand pitches, you know, and you get maybe <laughs> two people have come on every week, and about eight people said no, and everyone else just ignored me. So I don't mind. Wow. I don't. Well, mind. I pro- I don't mind to know. Go ahead. Yeah, I don't mind to know. Uh, well, I promise I will always reject you. <laughs> well, you're here today, as, so as that's good. Loudly as possible. I'm happy to be here today. Yeah. How's Buffalo? Oh, Buffalo is beautiful. It is. Uh, is it? Yeah, it's a beautiful time of the year here. It's just starting to. Let's see. Two weeks ago, I had two and a half feet of snow on my lawn, and today I got little flowers peeking out, and it's like 60 degrees, and it smells like spring, and it's uh, it's one of my favorite wow. times of the year here. Yeah. I have to say that it, that in my mind, I have a very romantic vision of, of Buffalo, and I need to get up there sometime. But I uh, and I, I've been traveling around the country a lot in my relatively new gig as um, uh, the lead food writer at GQ, and I haven't gotten to Buffalo yet. But I, I do have a romantic notion of it, and I also cannot imagine it in a season other than winter. So um, the idea of, of warm sunny buffalo just doesn't I, it's just not in my head i gotta get up there and, and see it for myself well that's one of the beautiful things about it is we do have four, four very distinct seasons i mean it gets really cold in the winter it gets really uncomfortably hot at times in the summer and we have a beautiful fall and a beautiful spring every year so it's a All right, well, get, find, find me a, a, a new restaurant that because i do the best new restaurants uh find me something to come see next year oh, and uh, i will take you out to dinner it's one of the best food cities in the world, and uh, I would I would say definitely the most underrated. And I think we talked about this last time we're on. It's people think it's just chicken wings, right? And sure, yeah. If if we let's say we had a bracket in a tournament, we were we had a one to sixteen was just Buffalo food. Like sure, wings would be our number one seed, but our sixteen right. seed would be a tough out. You know, I'm not exactly. Oh, yeah, so like, sure what's what the be. what is the other like? Let's say there's four. Like, so you got one, you got the wings are a one seed. Right. Beef on wreck is a, is another the one two. seed. What yeah, are the other? The two. That's uh, a two. Okay. Right. Like if we had one, if we were just had, we're filling one one to sixteen bracket. Uh, I think. I see. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think wings would be number one. Beef on wreck would be number two. Uh, maybe Ted's hot dogs might be number three, like a char grilled hot dog uh, place that we have. Uh-huh. Um. What else is very Buffalo? See, sometimes things are Buffalo, and I don't know. Like, I never knew Loganberry was Buffalo. It's a drink. It's kind of like a soda. And I always just thought that was everywhere in the world, but apparently not. So Loganberry would be, like, maybe, like, a 10 seed. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we would have – what else? What else is, like – I'm trying to think of, like, what's uniquely Buffalo, not just, like – Things I know that are good around Buffalo. You know right. what I mean. Well, what do, do you do? You Chargo, hot is dogs. Rochester part of the greater Buffalo area? It's like, pushing you, it. You... It's pushing it. It's part of Western New York, uh-huh. but it's definitely not yeah. a suburb. Like their big thing is the garbage plate. What's you know, the garbage plate? It, it's um, it's like it's definitely got like ground beef on it and ketchup, and then just a bunch of shit. 
and the shit depends on where, <laughs> where you get it from, and they, you know, just put it on a plate and give you a fork. And it's called a garbage. But that's truck. Rochester, not Buffalo. That, yeah, that's a Rochester thing. I, I'm not claiming that. I gotcha. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm 100% sure I made you do this both of the other times that I've been on the phone with you because, because this is what, this is what fascinates me. But, but anyway, so, so, so hopefully I'll get to come see you, uh, and, and get to see Buffalo. I actually like to come in the, in the icy grip of winter sometime, just cause I live in New Orleans I, I, and I grew up in New York and I don't get winter. Um, you know, I, I, I do a little bit of traveling during the winter and I, and you know, my, I'm completely soft now. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm freezing, but I still miss, um, uh, I do miss some serious, some serious crisis winter. A few other things I thought of: sponge candy would be in our top sixteen. It's like a little sure. piece of chocolate that has this spongy stuff in the middle. Uh, orange chocolate sponge candy is the best kind. Uh, also, right. um, we- uh, Weber's mustard, Chevetta's chicken dinner, which is like a barbecue that this fireman made here called Chavetta's sauce uh-huh. and you marinate your chicken in there and then you grill it. Um, that would probably, wow. that might Is even that be like our three seed. Uh, it's an, yeah. And people eat this all summer. Like, really? and churches have spaghetti chicken fundraisers. Like my mother-in-law will just be at the door in the summer one day. And like, she'll just be here. And my wife will be like, Oh, my mom just brought us Chavetta's chicken dinner for tonight because she drove by oh, a wow. church that was just like selling them for like a fundraiser. <laughs> So that's a big that, – wow. that would probably be our three seed, actually, Shavetta's Chicken Dinner. Can you, I'm sorry to do this. I, I know this is valuable airtime, but can you spell that word? Sure. It's C-H-I-A-V-E-T-T-A, Shavetta. It's a family. Shavetta. Yep. They're from the same place that Christian Leitner is from, uh, Angola, New York, which is south, oh, wow. All right. south of here. Yep. 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 So it's the, 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 by far the more popular – thing to come out of angola new york right <laughs> yeah definitely more <laughs> liked uh definitely more liked uh, i don't know anyone yeah. who like hates chavettas you know like christian later there's no one who... <laughs> <laughs> um but and then here's the here's the last secret and we'll, i want to talk to you about sopranos a bit but uh yeah so terry pagula he spent like 110 million dollars to start a division one hockey program at penn state mm-hmm and within like three or four years, I think this was their fourth year being D1, they made the NCAA tournament and they even won a game and then they lost, but they won one game. And um, so that's just kind of like an example of how well Pagula money spends. Uh, uh-huh. But that's nothing compared to if you come to my city right now and walk around downtown and really see the power of Pagula money. Because if you could have been here 10 years ago when we had all of our eggs in the Adelphia... Um, Regus family basket and those people mm-hmm. screwed us and got arrested and went to prison and ruined our city temporarily and we almost lost the Sabres our hockey team uh, well Terry, sure. Terry Pagula has kind of taken that role and cashed in the promises once made by Regus and has turned our city into this growing beautiful waterfront full of culture and food and sports and it's uh it's somewhere I, I couldn't imagine living anywhere but here. So, and I want you to come 
soon so that I can take you around and show you the best places. I, I just want to, I don't even know any of those words you were saying about Pagula and all those guys, but I, but that's exactly the kind of thing I want to hear Buffalo people talk about right. when I come to you. Terry so, yeah, no, I, just, uh, I, you, you have always been the best ambassador for, for the place. And, uh, and it's really, really why I talk to you, honestly, God, <laughs> just because I know that I have, I, I feel like I'm connected to Buffalo somehow because of it. And Pagula is just a rich dude who owns the bills and the sabers. And Regus, uh, yeah, no, I gather. That, yeah, 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 and Regus is just a rich dude who once owned a Delphia Cable uh, and the Sabers, uh-huh. but then got like Enron. His whole family was like, you know, that like an Enron type scandal. Sure. So, but he's. Dead. I mean, is there anybody worse than people who? This is a good segue into yeah. Sopranos because we'll mm-hmm. talk about cable TV. But yes. but I mean, you know, c- cable owners and who are sports owners are just probably the worst um, human beings on earth. Is cord cutting a, not like, like cord cutting's got to be the least surprising trend ever? Like the fact that people have turned their back on cable and satellite providers is the least shocking development of my lifetime. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, talk about you know the arrogance mm-hmm. of believing they'd never be disrupted, and they still continue to talk that you know, to, to speak that way. Now I'm old, old enough that I am too anxious and and fuddy duddy to really cord cut because I still like TV. Like the randomness, I feel like I just wanted to be there, and I have no way of making up my mind uh, without the the child guide. So I'm like the the last dinosaur who who can't really give it up. Um, but uh, but I want it so bad, just just to be. I mean, because because you know, until recently, you just dreamed about hanging up the phone with support from cable and, and saying, you know, fuck it, I'm I'm out of here, yep. and there was nothing to do. But now you can actually do it. Yeah. And Fantastic. I, I dream of that day. I'm like you too, but like my number one passion in life is New Orleans Saints football. I don't know if we talked about this before, but... Oh, we did. Yes, yeah, I forgot. I'm a huge, huge Saints fan. So I have to have DirecTV in the Sunday ticket because like yeah. my 16 most important days in front of the television are the 16 Saints games. So we can never give yeah. it up. But my wife and I are always joking about how we need to call DirecTV and try to get the, the expensive good package because we must have the cheap, shitty one. Like when the remotes break or it's like a little bit windy outside and we're getting a 771 error, which means that you just can't see anything on the TV and it's because of the weather and they don't even do anything about it. They say it's an act of God and they're not responsible. All kinds of bullshit, yeah. you know, that you go through with them. And <clears throat> so, yeah. Um, yeah, no, sports is the, is the devil in so many mm-hmm. ways, but that's yep. the, and, and, and this is just one of them that it keeps you tied to, to cable. Uh, I feel that way. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, even though I, I, I've been doing my best to give up the NFL, um, you know, I still feel like I want to know I can watch it if I if I have to. Now, the one great thing about DirecTV that's basically gold is my internet login because it gets me access to things like HBO Go and Showtime, anything. Mm-hmm. And I've been taking advantage of that HBO Go and rewatching Sopranos. And it's not the first time I've rewatched it. It's probably my third or fourth time through. Obviously, the first time. And I've probably done it two other times besides this time. Um, so it's probably about the fourth time. And that, I've you, that's seen from, from beginning to end, the whole thing. Yeah, I think the one time, though, I bailed on season six. I just wasn't in the mood to watch like everyone die at the end and stuff. So I kind of bailed on season mm-hmm. six. Tony got, shot, got the gut shot, and I'm like, that's good enough. I'm moving on to something else. So I, I didn't get all the way through at that time. But yeah, I've I've watched it now. This is about the fourth time I would say. So And so so how did it hold up? I'm curious. You know, you're now you you know, it's been you've seen it more recently than I have. And also, 
I've fallen in love with other shows. Like I've, I've learned to appreciate The Wire, which the first time I watched Sopranos, I hadn't seen yet. Uh, I just watched mm-hmm. Deadwood this summer. I had a baby this. My my wife had a baby this summer, and my when I would wake up with her in the middle of the night for feedings, I would watch Deadwood. So I just got through Deadwood. Um, the Americans is, oh, I love it so much. But uh, watching through Sopranos has n- done nothing but confirm that's the greatest episodic television series ever and it just there hasn't been anything before it and I just can't envision with as much as I've loved things like The Wire and the Americans that have come after it that if they haven't mm-hmm. passed it and Breaking Bad which I loved uh, that if they can't pass it I don't think anything can it's just so right. it's so good it's dark and it's funny and it's painful and it's Shocking. I mean, it's still shocking. Like, uh, okay, we're going to do a ton of Soprano spoilers. I was, I was reading one of your articles online <laughs> yesterday, and there was a picture in it, and the caption underneath said that they removed a piece of the caption uh, for <laughs> to, for people who still haven't watched this show. Um, I giggled uh-huh. about that. Uh, GQ must have, you know, <laughs> I did that. They must have been getting complaints that you guys are spoiling. I think it was a picture from, like, Bacala's funeral or something like that. Um, but right. I, um, it just it holds up so well, and it's so great. And there's moments that still, even though I know they're happening when they do, they like this time especially for whatever reason, the Melfi rape scene was really difficult to watch. Mm. Like when she's walking down the stairs in the parking garage and talking uh, to. Jason's father, who I can't remember his name or whatever, and they're arguing about Tony, and she hangs up. I'm right. just thinking, don't hang up, don't hang up, <laughs> and it's just it's so vicious. And um, Tony's reaction when he finds out his mother died um, is a chilling thing. Little things like that. It doesn't yeah. have to be a rape. It's just little things like that. You know, Tony comes in from outside, and everyone's just standing there looking at him, and the call had come. You know, and the family's just kind of. He's by himself, kind of looking across the room at the family. I love the way they shot it. And Carmel's like, Tony, your mother died. And he kind of sits down. Mm-hmm. It's just beautiful. It's just, it just holds up. It's just amazing. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's the best. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's, I mean, I'm glad to hear it. As I say, you know, it's been a while for me. I, I lived very closely to that show for a while. Um, first working on the, uh, the HBO companion uh, book where I was on set for for toward the end uh, for for a brief time um, and then and then of course in Difficult Men so um, so it was a big part of my life and then um, um, but it's been a while frankly since I immersed myself in that um, and it makes me and we and we've we've been through since then you know I mean it's what is it it's getting on twenty years right seventeen years eighteen years. Um, since it uh, since the tape, so it must yeah. be eighteen years, right? Nineteen ninety nine. Um, and uh, that's a long time, and yeah. it's a particularly long time in the landscape that that it created. I mean, um, you know, you go back to what a show, a TV show, nineteen ninety nine looked like, even uh, one that was didn't look like anything else. And it's 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 been a while, um, and things are quite different, and so it. it it shows, I think, the power of, um, to hear you say that, you know, I think, I think part of it is the power of, uh, Gandolfini, uh, who I think, uh, the, the 
the depth and and um, um, scale of of that performance only gets you know more appreciated with time. I think you know I think it's it's truly one of the great performances and embodiments of a character ever. Um, and uh, and then uh, the fact that it you know that 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 you know you can still be so emotionally tied to it. Uh, what was after all not first and foremost supposed to be a, a show you where you really cared about the characters, you know, um, it's uh, it's a real testament. I'm glad to hear that that's the case. Uh, I don't know that I will go back and do the full thing anytime in the very near future, but, um, but, but yeah, some of the moments you talked about do, do, do sort of continue to resonate with me. Um, uh, it's, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's an impressive thing that, that, uh, to hear somebody say that in, in 2017. And you know, when you watch it in a short period of time, and I think back to how, you know, I think, did it end in 2007? I think that's right. Uh, and it started yeah. in 1999. So it's, you know, a long period of time for those six and a half seasons or six seasons, however you want to say it. And, um, I was noticing some funny things like, uh, you know, Meadow and AJ start off as these kids, basically. And sure. they end up adults, and you look at what a beautiful girl Meadow is. It, like right around season four or five, it hits you. Oh my God, what a beautiful girl they cast! <laughs> and right around the same time, you you realize, oh my God, what a dud this kid AJ <laughs> ended up being. <laughs> like if they made a mistake at all, it was that kid. I'm sure they probably spent- yeah. Except that they didn't. I mean, they gave him. You know, they really invested a lot of story. Meadow by the end dropped out uh, of the of the drama. Pretty completely, right. yeah. Uh, and and they gave AJ, you know, um, I forget. I, he drowns himself. Me, he dates Blanca. He has a lot in the last um, few seasons. Yeah, no, he's got a tremendous amount. Pardon me. I'm yeah, sorry. There was a it's a scruffy podcast. Um, uh, caller ID called call waiting coming in. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean it was actually one of the great. Uh, you know, I, I, you know. I guess that's what happens. One of the things that happens when you, when you, uh, when you're working with actors, particularly young ones, over ten years, is yeah. Some of them turn into good actors. Some of them turn into bad ones. Some of them get hit with the ugly stick. Some of them, you know, uh, develop beautifully. And I don't know for whatever reason, it seems like Chase um, uh, fell out of love with the, either the, the Meadow character or with the actress, and um, and really. Um, and I think, and, and thematically, it made a lot of sense for Tony, for for Tony and his son to be, you know, more um, uh, to be more of a driving emotional force of the show. But uh, but they definitely decided to go with AJ, um, you know, a, a little more in depth. Yeah, I think in a way, maybe just kind of the story of Meadow ended before the show did. You know, she grew up, she became an Ivy League student, and she went on to find an interest in law. You know, um, and she just kind of grew up. She was just kind of an adult. And, Mm -hmm. you know, once she kind of breaks up with Finn, uh, it's kind of it for her. Although she's such an important part of the last scene uh, with her parking and driving and all that. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, but I remember distinctly during the first, you know, when it was on and before I was even involved with it professionally, when I was just a viewer and, you know, back in 1999, thinking and and being used to a kind of more conventional way of looking at television, which was to figure out, you know, okay, what is the, the moral here? What is the story here? Um, I, I remember thinking 
oh, this, you know, this is really a story about Carmela trying to save her daughter from being, you know, that, that would be a large part of it. And, um, and, uh, that, I guess that theme continued through the show, but, but that never really kind of came to fruition, but I, it's a good point that there wasn't a lot of places for her to go, I guess by the end. And I was reading and I was reading to my daughter last night. I was reading her difficult man and, uh, <laughs> she loved it. Uh, Appreciate that. yeah, she's eight months old. And How old is she? Nine months old, nine, eight, nine, something like that. She'll be one in June. Um, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, and she just that's I about mean, the reading level. That's, yeah, uh, that's, that's 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 my target audience. She clings to every word, and we were reading about Furio and uh, the scene where Tony disappears from the set, and he's not there for a while, and uh, kind of goes out. Uh-huh. And you're talking about David Chase, and um, uh, you're t- but uh, the scene that I guess he's not there to tape is the one where. Uh, Furio has a chance to kind of just push Tony into the propeller of the helicopter at the casino. Right. And um, it just made me think about how true everything in Difficult Men is in the sense that David Chase created the perfect antihero in the sense that Tony's the one, Tony's the criminal, the murderer, the cheater, um, the the one who with the bad temper, I mean, just all the things we see Tony do, but we love him till the very end, you know, whereas Carmela, it's almost like two episodes couldn't go by where I didn't think about how much I hated her. Um, and just wanted, you know, I don't know what I wanted to happen to her. I guess nothing, but I just hated her. I hated her attitude. I was so mad at her during the separation uh, that she ruined, uh, mm-hmm. she ruined the the chance to buy the shore house with her, with just because that Russian girl called and she's just such a bitch and her stupid nails and wanting to make out with the father and all these innocent little things she did that just pissed me off and I just hated her more and more and the more she annoyed me the more I loved Tony and I thought of it with Fur- mm. you know with Furio and um, because you know that was one of her things where. She just loved Furio so much, and he loved her, and he ran back to Italy instead of uh, getting involved with the boss's wife, which was probably a smart decision for him. But um, it also got me thinking last night about how I wish the book has a part two with the Americans in it. Do you watch the Americans? You know, I don't. Um, I don't. I, I, um, you know, everybody, I, um, you know, I, I know I know how, how much people love it. I've, I've certainly lots of people I respect uh, have uh, called it the best show on television for for a couple of years now. I mean, part of it is that I, um, when when I after doing this professionally for for a little while, there was a great relief for a long time just to watch baseball, um, right. and uh, to not really um, do the work of getting emotionally involved in, in a show. And my my standards were pretty high. And and when the uh, when the Americans came along, I have to be honest that I the first watched the first four or five, and. Uh, which, which I think in retrospect was probably not enough to, to, to really get it. Uh, but my girlfriend and I both, um, just kind of gave up on it. Um, I just thought there was a, there was a scene. I found it frustrating. I found it, um, and this is, we're talking about the very early, so I, I can't speak to how it's gained depth or, you know, gained any gravitas since then, but, but it, it annoyed me how they were not only spies, but they were super spies, you know, that they were masters of disguise. And she was, there's a scene in the early one where she's, stowed away in the trunk 
of a car, and then she comes kind of does this, you know, ninja climbing out of like Tom Cruise breaking into a bank <laughs> in Mission Impossible uh, thing. And I was like, you know what? Why do they have to be superheroes? You know, where does where does he learn to to box? You know, how does how does he stay? You know, like there was something fatally. It was a fatal flaw for me that all of the stuff that was interesting in the very early setup was undermined by by that. Um, but I could be wrong. Well, the know? show that, does. That, that, that's not. That's interesting. The show does yeah, go, I, go through some time over the years with through flashbacks, showing their lives in Russia a little bit and kind of showing how uh-huh. how they were developed to be. Specifically, they were developed by the KGB by the USSR government and the KGB to be super spies. Like they were born to be that, you know. And the show yeah. does spend some time as you get into it through flashbacks kind of explaining to two divergent roads that the, the 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 male and female lead take to the point where they're kind of in this arranged marriage. Um, right. You know, I mean, that's fine. I'm sure that's fine. It's just, it, for me, what was interesting, and it's, it's just a matter of, this just goes to show how this stuff works, you know, at a time when there's so much TV out there. It's right. like, you know, I, in my head, I was more interested with the, uh, in them as British Lemiles, you know, as kind of mid-level, non, you know, super spies. And, and, and uh, like I say, you know, that doesn't mean that the show, that uh, I wouldn't have grown to love the show that was there, but it, but, but in a world where there's, you know, 15, 20 shows vying for your attention, um, that one just kind of fell by the wayside for me. And I probably, I, there's no way I can go back now, but, um, I, you know, enough people feel the way you do that I kind of um, believe it was probably a mistake. Yeah, I was like you for a long time in the sense that I know for a lot of people, The Wire was the show that everyone had to tell them, hey, did you see The Wire? Oh, you didn't? Well, you have to. It's the best show ever. And for a long time, yeah. The Americans was that show for me. Someone say, hey, did you see The Americans? And I'd say no. And they'd say, oh, you got to see it. It's the best show ever. And I, it kind of annoyed me. You know, and again, it was the birth of yeah. my, it was the birth of my daughter, and having all this time at night to start watching shows, and um, we also, as part of having a third person in the house, got decided to get Amazon Prime because I don't know, uh-huh. my wife found out from someone that it's a great place to get diapers or something like that. You know, all of a sudden we had this new video streaming service, and that was one of the shows they had that I hadn't watched, and I said, all right, fuck it, let me do this. You know, and um, so I had the the luxury of being able to watch four seasons of it in, you know, three and a half weeks or whatever, and didn't kind of have to deal with the slowness. Like Breaking Bad is another show that I feel like if I would have just started watching it Tuesdays on A&E, I wouldn't have got through the first six episodes. Mm. You know, because I tried to rewatch Breaking Bad, which I loved Breaking Bad. Like not quite as much as Sopranos, probably not quite as much as The Wire, and probably not as much as Americans anymore and maybe not as much as Mad Men. But otherwise, I loved it as much as anything and when I tried to rewatch it, I couldn't get I couldn't get through the the first half of the first season. It just felt so boring to me. Um, really? Really? And, and I feel like if I wasn't able to blow through that initially, I think it was the first 3 seasons that I watched before I was in real time with the show, I don't know if I mm-hmm. if I would have stuck with it. Well, I gotta say, you know, I I've never been. Uh, I'm I, I maybe in some ways I was an unusual person to write that a book about TV, about this era of TV, because I 
I've never been much of a binge watcher and I've never been a rewatcher, um, except when necessary. So it's, it's, it's hard, um, for me to, you know, to relate to that totally. I mean, I, I of course know what the feeling is like, but, uh, but I always liked the, um, and I still like, um, the ritual of, of waiting between episodes. I find it odd, like everybody else, like when I'm watching something in real time and I, you know, it's like, wait, there's no more. I can't go to the next one. You know, I have to wait a week until somebody decides to show this to me. Um, you know, I, I find it, I'm just as conditioned to imagine that I can watch the next one as anybody else. But my max is pretty much two episodes at most, um, before I kind of can't, uh, before I need to get up and walk around and, you know, and, and take some time off. So, um, so it's been so it's hard for me to go back and and really rewatch these for fun um as much as I think it would be fascinating to sort of see what works and what doesn't and what's slow and what's fast and and you know and and get a, a, that kind of perspective um it's uh, and I have uh, I had a baby myself uh, no not not by myself or <laughs> me we did uh, it. my girlfriend we and I had a second daughter um in uh, in November and I had this fantasy of of all those hours at night Somehow I can't, I can't, I, I'm amazed that you could be up, I mean, I, my brain was never, and this is the second time around, um, my, I, I always thought, oh, this is great, I'll, I'll get all this viewing done, I'll get all this work done, you know, it'll be great to be up early, and uh, I was such a zombie both times that I, I barely can remember, you know, anything that I did during those hours. Well, when my, when my daughter was born, me and my wife just made a decision that we weren't going to see each other for six weeks, and we just kind of split up. <laughs> We kind of we would tag in and out, you know what I mean. She would she would get up at eight, six seven o'clock in the morning and be with the baby and like all day we kind of eat dinner together and then she'd kind of fade away and I'd kind of be on call for the rest of the night. And wow. so I became a real night guy and I would just watch shit on the iPad uh, while I was feeding Ooh. her at night. You know, didn't have to be loud, didn't have to be bright. I just put it, put stuff on the iPad, put it next to us, and feed her or whatever. And I got a lot done. And I got to thinking when I was talking to you, and maybe when I pitched you last, just thinking about how difficult men needs a difficult men too. Because I just want there's just such a there's a new era. There's you know House of Cards and the Americans, and mm-hmm. you know all you talked about how it's like a show. If it doesn't get you in the first three episodes, you blow it off because there's ten other shows waiting for your attention. And that's so yeah. true, you know, like like House of Cards, my wife and I watched it and we enjoyed it. And then we bailed on it for a long time before we came back to it. And I don't think yeah. it had anything to do with House of Cards as much as we just got occupied by other stuff. Other shows, Fargo maybe, was like, you know, came mm-hmm. out and it was like, no, we got to spend our time watching Fargo because this is so great. And that's another show that I freaking love. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've loved Fargo. Uh, and I'm excited for season three. Um, even though it's uh, it's definitely a thing. I mean, it's you know it's a wonderful position to be in, you know, to be able to. But but I've definitely started and stopped more series, you know, in the years since uh, those you know early shows that I have watched them. You know, my 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 standard is pretty high, um, and uh, especially even more so in some ways. They're having the kids, um, you know, the other thing is you just you know your time is you have less time ultimately and uh and it's more valuable um and uh and it's true there's just there's just so many options i don't even know where half the shows are anymore you know I'm, again i'm an old man but 
but uh, you know, I, it's hard to keep track of what's on Amazon, what's on Netflix, right. what's on. Yep. God forbid, what's on real television. I, I mean, I'm shocked when something's on <laughs> TV. Yeah, you know? FX is doing a good job of get, get keeping me on regular TV. They have they've had some good shows. Yeah. Um, what's your daughter's name? Her name is Paula. Paula, nice yeah. name. Yeah, Lovely. she's named after my grandmother. Uh, who passed away in 1995. So it was very kind of my wife to um, not even consider any other names. We found out we had a girl. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, That's we knew exciting. she'd be named Paula. Um, well, shit. Uh, the sports guests are here with Brett Martin, and we've already blown through 35 minutes, so we should think about cutting for a second because I didn't ask Brett to just cancel his whole day. Uh, you can find him on Twitter. <laughs> He's at Brett Martin there. And if you Google Brett Martin GQ. You can find a link to a really great page on GQ.com, which just has a shit ton of articles that Brett has written. And we talked about Difficult Men. And for years, I had that Sopranos book on the bookshelf. Never knew you wrote it. Uh, and took it out yeah. last night and was looking at it. And I was like, oh, this is like, there's like a book here. <laughs> like, I can like <laughs> read this. So I'm going to do that because I've, I've had it for years. Yeah, I'm proud of I that. I never it's, did more I'm than look at book. it. It's, 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 you know, it, it looks like a. a what it is, which is an HBO funded, you know, coffee table book, but I took it pretty seriously and I spent a lot of time doing uh, interviews for it. And, and, uh, um, and for me, it was, uh, an education in, in what became difficult man. And, and, uh, I'm pretty proud of that actually. And it, even though it, it may not, it may not it appear like a serious piece of work. I, I, I care about it a lot. Two quick hitters. And I'll let you go as quickly as you want. What do you think of the Mets this year? Um, you know, I, I, uh, I'm, in, I'm, I've too been through too many promising seasons to get my hopes up too much, but, uh, I think they will be at the very least, uh, fun. I mean, the pictures are great. I, I'm, I'm, I am so accustomed to the waterfall of injuries at this point that I just expect that. But, uh, but if one or two of those pitchers stays healthy enough to, uh, be fun to watch every third or fourth day, then I'll be happy. Are you still in on Harvey? Uh, yeah, I, I am. I think it's probably uh, good for him not to be a one anymore. I think that he, uh, that's my hope, is that what happened to him is uh, is what happens to a, a, a wonderkind when he uh, gets in the uh, room with a bunch of other kids who are just as smart and uh, talented as him and that he's uh, growing up and is going to be uh, going to be great this year. Syndergaard's the one then, right? I think he's he's the he's the talent, yeah. He's the ace, yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah. do you think they have enough hitting? Um Yeah, I mean I wish they played I wish they, you know, had a little more, you know, more three-dimensional hitting, but they, you know, a little that they relied a little less on the on the um just uh, you know, huge home runs. But uh, um, you know, the fact is that uh, um, I don't know shit about it. <laughs> you know, like I mean, I'm I, fan, I, yeah. I can tell you what you know. Like uh, to me, I just look forward to the nightly ritual of coming back. Um, yeah. You know, and yep. uh, and the best sportscasters in the business, uh, in Gary Keith and Ron, and who are my you know nighttime companions for four months. And you know, I don't live in New York anymore, and I'm too old to care too much about this so i um so for me it's it's you know the return of uh of my nightly uh friends coming back all right let's end on this rank these famous mets fans in any way you feel like the ranking should be made 
The only thing they'll have in common is that they're Mets fans, and then you rank them. And then you can tell me why you right. ranked them this way. All right. We got Baba Bowie. Yeah. Uh, Jim Brewer. Yeah. Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah. Billy Joel. And yourself. Mm-hmm. Five Mets and fans. myself. Yes, five Mets oh, is fans. That right? them, yeah. Well, me and Billy are on the, on the top level there. Okay, um, and um, yeah, you know we have some pretty uh, bad famous fans. I mean, I I guess I I don't. Ha- um, oh, you know, I, I can't like those stand guys. The Jim Brewer. What's that? You don't like Brewer? I you know I liked the early on the, the you know when he's when I. Uh, no, not all that much. I got to be honest. <laughs> all right, there's there's all right. other ones too. Because what's his name? You know, Kevin um, King of Queens. Right. He's a. Yeah. He's a uh, what is it about comedians? That's what I wonder. Why there's all these comedians who are who are um, Mets fans? It made, sort of makes me feel like um, there's well, something to matter. Because comedians um, all come from New York, Boston, or LA, right? Pretty much. I guess. I yeah. guess so. Yeah. yeah. And then and they all have inferiority complexes and are you know uh, picked on by Yankees fans. Right. Um, I guess that's the. Uh, I guess Billy Crystal is the uh, is the is the counterexample. Um, but I'm a Billy Joel fan. Uh, I, mean, I shouldn't say that out loud in such a declarative way. I love be taken out of context. I, I root. Him. I root for Billy Joel. Um, I think Billy Joel is under. This is why I'll leave you with this formulation, which is sure. that um, that that. Billy Joel is underrated to the degree that Bruce Springsteen is overrated, and somewhere in the middle is where they both should be. Well, I'll tell you what. Anytime the Downeaster Alexa or Vienna or even Uptown Girl, which is maybe my favorite hit, oh, uh-huh. man, anytime. I'll take it anytime. The Downeaster Alexa is definitely my favorite Billy Joel song, though. Yeah. Oh, I just It's so Long yeah. Island. I mean, I'm not from Long Island, but I appreciate it. You know, I'm a New Yorker. And I appreciate the uh, idea of loving Long Island like I love Buffalo and just the Down Easter Alexa. I wish there was a, a Buffalo version of that song. There isn't really. But um, Is there like a bard of Buffalo? Is there like a Bruce Springsteen of Buffalo? Well, I guess the most famous band from Buffalo is the Goo Goo Dolls. I'm not really a big fan of them. But, uh, okay. You know, they would probably be the the most famous. Also, you know the in Ace Ventura when he goes to meet that, that guy? Sure. And that there's that metal band playing, and uh, you know, like he's going through the concert to meet the guy who gives him the informa- information. And the, there's a metal band on stage. Oh, they're from Buffalo. Whatever. It doesn't sound like you're too familiar. Uh, with this, sure. uh, no, from, actually, no, no. I thought I was thinking that it was the football team, but that was the Dolphins in that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're called Cannibal Corpse. That band. They're from Buffalo too. Uh, all right. So, so it was you and Billy Joel, and then Baba Booey was oh, yeah. next, or well, uh, then probably Seinfeld, and Seinfeld. then, and then uh, Brewer, and then Baba Booey. That's Baba Booey's last. I mean, oh, he's got such a you know, heart, I don't. Gary. He's got such a great. Heart. I don't really know his body of work as a Mets fan, to be honest with you. I haven't, I haven't really kept up. So, um, I'm not. I, I that's my unauthoritative. Uh, ranking. <laughs> I love it. All right. I, I'm just as happy if you do it the other way. <laughs> I could be last, and, and Bob Bowie can be first. That's perfectly fine with me. Well, that was just for fun and to be silly to go. And thank you so much for doing this. Again, it's at Brad Martin on Twitter. Difficult Men. It's one of the best books about TV I've ever read. Uh, you can find his work in GQ or on GQ.com. Anything else you want to promote? No. I'm all, um, nope. Uh, you got it. All right. Well, hopefully you're here soon, and I'll take you out to eat. Right, I look forward to it. I, yeah, you send me some of that chicken sauce. Yes, Shabbat is. I will. Do. I will for sure. All right. All right. Thanks, man. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you.
All right, I want to thank Joe Poznanski and Brad Martin for being on the podcast today. Don't forget you can hear this podcast and all of our podcasts on our SoundCloud page, www.soundcloud.com slash sports-casters. You can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher and Podcatchers everywhere. If you can't find us somewhere, email me, sportscasters at gmail.com. Or find me on Twitter at sports underscore casters and my co-host Don is at Don Lake Sports. Also, don't forget about the Lonely End of the Rink hockey podcast that I do with Adrian Dater. I think we're talking Ducks hockey this week. You can find that podcast at Lonely Rink Pod. More information on that or on SoundCloud. SoundCloud.com slash Lonely Rink Pod. All right. One last thing, and I'll get out of here for today. Yesterday was the 30th anniversary of WrestleMania three. Uh, I think I described it on Twitter as like the first important day of my life. Like, I don't know, I was six years old, not quite seven. It was the first time I really, really cared about something. My mom and dad were nice enough to get the pay per view. We had friends over from school. It's probably the first time I really ever did that. Uh, we ate pizza. You know, it was on a Sunday at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. It was like having people over for the late football game on a Sunday. And uh, everyone stayed until, you know, Hulk slammed Andre. Uh, There's some great stuff out there. Um, there were the Detroit newspaper did an oral history, uh, if you can find that. I thought real quick I'd just go through the card, talk about some of the matches. I really dreamed of doing some retro WrestleMania podcasts this year. Um, there's some good ones out there. PlaceToBe.com does a good job. And they're actually going back through and doing it again. Going through old WWF pay-per-views and WWE pay-per-views. And I want to do it, uh, but I didn't get to it this year. Maybe next year I'll try to at least record... Like the first five WrestleManias, a special podcast for each one. Uh, try to set up an interview with someone about that WrestleMania. Go through the card. Um, again, it's kind of entering a, a crowded space. It's probably no one out there clamoring for this, but it's fun to do. And uh, it's definitely my favorite era of wrestling. If I was ever going to do something with podcasting and wrestling, that's what I'd want to do. Hopefully next week we'll have the masked man in here. I've been texting him ferociously with little success uh, so I may have to pivot to a different wrestling expert whether it be Court Bauer um, or Mike Johnson or some of the others who've been on but I want my boy Shoemaker uh, last Wrestlemania he was supposed to be on and he got the job at Ringer and I kind of just backed off and let him settle into that and I haven't heard from him since I reached out a few times so we'll see but Anyway, real quick, I want to go through the 12 matches of WrestleMania 3 and offer a thought. Uh, the show opened with the Can-Am Connection. It was Rick Martel and Tom Zink. They defeated Bob Orton and the Mer- Magnificent Morocco. Uh, Mr. Fuji was the manager there. Bob Orton was in the main event, essentially, of WrestleMania 1, uh, on the outside of the ring, uh, defending the team of Roddy Piper and Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. And by WrestleMania 3... He's tagging with Morocco and doing the job in the first match at WrestleMania 3. 
to Martel and Zink. Zink eventually got into a fight with McMahon and left, and Martel formed Strike Force uh, with Tito Santana. The second match, uh, Billy Jack Haynes defeated Hercules. Uh, or excuse me, <laughs> Billy Jack Haynes and Hercules. It ended in a double countout. And as Jesse Ventura said, the match was a draw, but Hercules won the war. Billy Jack Haynes did a vicious blade job at the end of this match. Uh, Hercules hit him with the chain. Billy Jack bladed. The whole match was based around the full Nelson, who had a better one. Not my favorite match on the card. Two kind of plotting guys. Is the first match that featured Bobby Heenan, though. Uh, who's out quite a bit. The third match was Hillbilly Jim, the Haiti Kid, and the Little Beaver. They defeated King Kong Bundy, Little Tokyo, and Lord Littlebrook when King Kong Bundy slammed and dropped an elbow on Little Beaver. It's a fun match. It's only 3 minutes and 25 seconds. It's the perfect amount of time for it. Whenever anyone does like a what's your guilty pleasure of wrestling thread, this this match is always what comes to mind. It's super fun. Uh, Little Beaver thinks he's tough the whole time, and Bundy finally gets his hands on him, and it's it's great. Uh, number four was the match I was a little disappointed with. It was a loser must bow match. Harley Race defeated the Junkyard Dog with a side suplex. It kind of comes out of nowhere. The match just ends. Um, Junkyard Dog doesn't bow, or he does kind of half-ass bow, doesn't curtsy. Cheap shot to Harley Race with a chair that Jesse Ventura flips out about. It's, it's actually pretty great. Uh, but this could have been better, I think. Uh, the Dream Team, Greg Valentine and Brutus Beefcake, who were tag team champions at WrestleMania 2. They lost the belts to the British Bulldogs at WrestleMania 2. Uh, they were with Johnny Valent and Dino Bravo. And they fought the Rougeau brothers, defeated them with outside interference with Dino Bravo, and then turned on Beefcake. Uh, they left Beefcake out there, which is significant. He'd show up in the next match, which was Roddy Piper defeating Adrian Adonis in a hair-versus-hair match. Adonis thought he had Piper beaten. He didn't. Piper put him to sleep. And then Beefcake appeared out of nowhere to help Piper cut his hair. And eventually, he would become the barber, Beefcake. Started here at WrestleMania three, And this was Piper's retirement match. And that lasted until WrestleMania five. Uh And if you listen to the Pritchard show podcast which is awesome uh they do a roddy piper episode recently and talked about his return at wrestlemania 5 that's when the pay-per-view went to break they used to do intermissions on pay-per-views they came back for one of the matches i was most anticipating the heart foundation bret hart and jim Nightheart, and the evil referee dangerous danny davis turned wrestler uh were with their manager, Jimmy Hart, and they defeated the British Bulldogs. David Boy Smith and the Dynamite Kid, who were with Tito Santana. Uh, the story here was that the Bulldogs and Tito and Tito had their belts taken away due to the unfair roughing of Danny Davis, which led to Danny Davis being suspended for life for life, 10, 10 years, years by President Jack Tunney. This match was booked perfectly. Uh, Davis gets caught in the ring. And the offense that Davey Boy Smith puts on him is unbelievable. Such a cool match. Booked perfectly. 
because the back of the referee is turned and the megaphone is in the ring and Dangerous Danny Davis knocks the Dynamite Kid out with it uh, and gets the pinfall uh, victory. Number eight, Butch Reed with Slick defeated Coco Beware. Not much to say about this one. They kept it short. And it will it's probably best known for being the match before the match. Uh the greatest match of all time. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat with George Steele in his corner. Defeated Randy Savage, the Intercontinental Champion, obviously with Elizabeth. Uh never will a wrestling match be able to have the impact this one did on me. I was the perfect age to believe that Randy Savage was really driving the ring bell into the throat of Ricky Steamboat. I watched with horror as I thought that Ricky Steamboat might die. Savage was crushing his throat. Uh, And I screamed with excitement when he returned to the ring. And uh, I was all in for this match. And I was telling Tammy last night kind of a funny thing about it. It It's the biggest moment of my life. But it's also when the pizza came. So I don't think any of my friends saw this match. They were all eating the pizza in the kitchen. Uh, I was alone with the pay-per-view watching Steamboat win the Intercontinental title. Uh, after that, the Honky Tonk Man with Jimmy Hart again beat Jake Roberts with Alice Cooper. He cheated, held the ropes at the end, kind of an upset. And uh, his cheating ways would certainly upset me in June uh, when he won the Intercontinental title right in front of me at the odd story that's been told many times on this podcast. Another match before the match, the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov with Slick defeated the Killer Bees, beat Ryan Blair, jumping Jim Ronsell by disqualification. Uh, that happened when uh, it was Hacksaw Jim Duggan uh, hit the Iron Sheik in the back with the 2x4 when he had Jumpin' Jim Renzel in the camel clutch. Uh, so that resulted in a disqualification. And then the match that drew the 93,173, Hulk Hogan defeated Andre the Giant via body slam, uh, leg drop, and pinfall, and Hulkamania was going to survive its greatest threat yet, Andre the Giant. An amazing pay-per-view, an amazing night, and next year, hopefully, we'll do something longer on it. If you're watching this weekend, enjoy WrestleMania 33. Broadway is dark tonight. A little bit weaker than you used to be. Broadway is dark tonight. See the young man sitting in the old man's bar Waiting for his turn to die